Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey guys, have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I saw a video he made and I was shocked. He is in his 80s, still kicking butt, working out, staying active. He looks like he's got more energy, can work out longer, even has plenty of that energy left over for his grandkids, and he did this by making one change. He said that he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife even started doing this thing too. She's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger, her body looks leaner, has energy all day, and Chuck's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their health. Staying active is important. Moving around keeps you feeling good. Making sure that you take care of your gut health, your digestion, just overall, is also very important. Right now, you can go to mymorningkick.com slash Fightful. Watch Chuck's video right now. That's mymorningkick.com slash Fightful. Check out what Chuck Norris has to say. What's got him feeling so good these days? He explains everything, and you won't believe how simple it is. It's time for this week's Wrestling Perspective Podcast. Myself, Dennis Ferrer, along with Ace Steel, hanging out. Our week-long celebration, celebrating Chris Hero in his retirement. He asked for it. He got it. We're on day four of celebrating. Can you sprinklers right here? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Uh, that's a little inside sprinklers, joke. But... Sparklers. But, yeah, we had the dancing girls come. Uh, you guys missed that podcast. It was great. Uh, there was a plane that wrote Chris Hero's name in what smoke or clouds or however they do that outside for the fourth. Huge firework display with Chris's face. We did it all this week. I'm so glad everybody was with us. Instead of streamers being thrown at him, he shot him out of his ass. Yeah. <laughs> I had the bad I had the Johnny B bad blaster. <laughs> uh, to but, provide context for anyone listening that doesn't quite know what's going on uh we were just making a joke of how uh on a on a recent show i made a sarcastic comment about um you know have you have you retired i'm like no i haven't retired uh i'm like if i would have retired there would have been some kind of a celebration or a, a week-long festival or whatever and that made it into print and then people took that the wrong way and thought that i was actually saying that which you know the more that i say it it sounds kind of good to have a week-long festival you had the fourth of july let's have the first of chris hero we'll do seven days there you go. celebrating me um hero fest yes but the the thing it's not um doesn't like annoy me or piss me off or anything but the whole retirement thing it, it's just kind of silly because we've never had more information at our fingertips we have never 
ever had more. It's just, boom, it's right there, right? You used to have to look into books, right? You have to look in the back of a book and figure out what page it corresponded with to find the information, right? Or we'd go to the library and go through microfish to look. <laughs> right um so all you have to do is one go to my twitter and then you can see that i'm active and you can see things that i'm promoting and saying things that i'm saying or you could probably google chris hero retirement where i would have addressed that uh you know in the last three years maybe four or five different times so it's you know people wanting the information put in front of them instead of seeking out the information which i'm from the era of like scouring the globe for footage or info or asking an old timer this question about this obscure person so it's just a foreign concept for me to have information so readily available that people just forget how to look it up themselves so rant over oh boom Ace. Uh, welcome, Chris Hero, longtime friend. I was actually just telling Dennis was mentioning how he's he's always wanted to talk with you. He's been doing this podcast a long time, and I said, uh, I think if I think about it, it's very possible we've had contact, not just being friends, but we've we've been in contact for at least over twenty years, possibly twenty five years, but you know, or it's it's approaching that. I mean, when I think about how long I've actually, you know, since I had the school since I've known punk, like, I can't believe how long it's been, you know, mm -hmm. like that relationship's gone on, but how long you and I have known each other has been, it's been quite a while. I, I remember it specifically. I remember, um, <laughs> I met Danny Dominion first. I met him and uh -huh. Ed Schumann in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, you know, where I live now. Uh -huh. Um, there was the NWA 51st show. Uh, I got booked, through nwa west virginia that i was working for at the time and i was in the junior heavyweight battle royal if you can believe that oh. um and uh just you know hobnob with some local some nwa talent from the different territories so i met danny we went to the local school here we got in the ring a little bit uh and then it was just i believe that was maybe september and then i think october uh, you guys came as a tag team to work uh, these tapings in Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh you wrestled yes. David Young and Rick Michaels. Um, it was, uh, at, I believe the place was called the Palisades. Uh, it was Jim Miller promotion. It was NWA East PWX, but it was also had some WLW tie-in too, which I believe okay. Mark has had something to do with that. I'm not 100% sure. Um, wow. But this was October 99 that we would have met in person for the first time. Okay. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, you're Danny's partner. Cool, whatever. Let's talk on AOL Instant Messenger now. <laughs> uh, and then it would have been uh, the fall of 2000 that we would have been on the same show together again. That was IWA Mid-South. That was, I believe you wrestled South. Punk, right? You came in uh, wrestled Punk maybe gosh. in your first... IWA match. I want to say my first match. I want to say my first match was Shark Boy. Oh, it was either, okay. It was, there was. I think I was in this like the Sweet Science tournament. I could be entirely. We, we wrestled incorrect. in the Sweet Science tournament. Okay, I we did. For some reason, I believe that I did the Sweet Science first, and then I would return. But I could be entirely off. It's, I, I haven't I, looked it up. We could consult Cage Match. I do think we, it was the could. other way around because I remembered I had met Cabana. I knew Prezak. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. I met those guys first, 
And then I believe you and Punk came down to, together with like the whole crew, and then you guys wrestled each other outside. And this was Which, like right. This would have been, I think, Richard X going through the flaming table. I was just gonna say that. Is this the famous? <laughs> we're sitting in the back of a pickup truck. Richard X, the, the table lights on fire, and Richard X gets thrown through it. Mm. Richard X is a very, uh, is he? I, I say was is. I don't know if he. Mm. I, I assume he's still alive. But anyway, mm-hmm. he's very mm-hmm. dark skinned. Uh, 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 nice kid, African American kid, and it burned him so bad his skin was pink, and you could smell yeah. it. We we're in a pickup truck, probably about fifty feet away, maybe I'm gonna guess, and you could smell the burning skin. And Ian gets on the mic and says, "If you ain't hardcore, that's hardcore. If you ain't hardcore, you ain't shit." And we were all chanting, "We ain't, we shit. ain't shit. We ain't we shit. We ain't shit." Yes, <laughs> I... I lock up and Crazy, <laughs> <laughs> had to talk me into taking that booking because he, he was like, "You want to go work?" IWA mid south like what the fuck would I want to do that for? And bash my head in and he said, No, 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 Ian wants to get wrestlers down and all this stuff. And lo and behold, here we are. So here we are amazing. Well, yeah, that I, was I, that was 23 plus years ago. Okay. So I, I defer to your memory for sure on that. And now yeah. you've confirmed it. But uh wow, what a long, what a long report. And I'm sure we'll get into it. We'll talk about the Dave Taylor camp a little bit. I prepared <sighs> no questions. Because this is exactly when when I was given the reins to pick who I wanted to talk to. Not exactly talking to myself when Dennis and I talked. But the people I wanted to pick, I just wanted to have a conversation as opposed to I don't have an agenda here. So let's roll. Oh, I have an agenda. No. Uh, But your bucket list interview, uh, I've – throughout the different, you know, uh, I guess iterations of this show – uh, I've always tried to lean on people like, Hey, do you, do you know, Chris hero? Let's try to get him on. And then there was that the period where you were, you know, with the Federation and you were, you were kind of off limits for interviews. So now that you're free agent, uh, retired, unretired, who knows, I guess I better go to your Twitter to find out, uh, <laughs> being able to talk to you is, is a pleasure for me. So thank you for doing this. Dennis, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes. Where uh where where are you from, Dennis? I am in Detroit, Michigan. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh we used to do shows up there for Huck, AT Huck. Um okay. his uh his family had a printing press. Uh so when the Sheik would promote events, he would get his posters and flyers and programs printed at Huck's family shop. And then Huck found his way into the business and then started helping out at shows. Um People now would maybe know him from latter days ECW. He refereed some shows there. Uh, and then he just was, you know, very helpful. He, you know, would book us and put us on shows, uh, you know, usually once a month or so. Um, had mm-hmm. some some fun road trips up that way. Had some fun shows. So Michigan, when I, when I think of that, I think of those Huck shows that I used to do. You know, and this kind of wraps into what I, my first question I at least was going to ask you is you're, you're now a guy who is a leader in any locker room you, you go into you, you know, I, I, I name drop the guy all the time. Cause he's my BFF, but PD Williams is one of my best friends. Yeah. Hey, no, don't worry. He's not as cool as it sounds. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, and, and to kind of know him from, you know, PD Williams. And then now anytime he walks into a locker room, heads turn and people are like, Hey, Oh my gosh, it's PD. Is that like a weird adjustment for you? from all the roads you traveled from being at, you know, the, the top of the level to 
where you are now to go into a locker room and to now be looked at as the guy that gives out the, the advice instead of having to seek the advice? So yes and no. Um, it is, it is a, a bit of an adjustment. Uh, but what I will say is that early in my career, my first couple years, um, I, you know, had, I had the benefit to train at Les Thatcher school for a bit. Uh, I did a couple of the Dory Funk camps. Uh, and then later I ended up doing the Dave Taylor camp. Uh, and I was working weekly with guys like Tracy Smothers and Bull Payne. So in my first four years in wrestling, I had a crash course of, of all of that, right? So there would be younger wrestlers at the time that I would kind of take under my wing and would travel with. Um, there was one one guy in particular, Kufa. Ace, do you remember Kufa? <laughs> yes. Kufa the Flying Hawaiian, uh, my friend yes. Dustin. Uh, so at my very first funk camp, I did two of them. Uh, he was assigned to be my roommate. And the way these Dory camps went, it was like 75% were wrestlers with experience and 25% were had never been in a ring or taken a bump or anything. So Dustin mm. was one of those guys who had never trained, never done anything. And he ended up being my roommate, found out he was also from Ohio. Uh, and then we just, we hit it off as buddies. So then once the camp ended and he had his match at the end of the week, um, on the show that we did, uh, we stayed in contact. So then he started traveling to Pittsburgh with me and he'd just hang out and maybe we'd get in the ring before the show or, you know, we'd have a, we'd get booked up in Cleveland and he'd get on a show. So I was showing him stuff that I had learned, you know, I wasn't a complete pro wrestler by any means, but I could show him what I learned to the best of my abilities. Uh, and then there was a group in Cleveland that I started uh, helping them out. And I'd see like, uh, the way you're holding this headlock is, uh, or the way you're hitting the ropes or whatever. And I'd kind of tighten things up a little bit. Then I would go to Europe and I would have these guys that just did not have the benefit of having, uh, full on wrestling schools, uh, and mentors, because when the bottom dropped out of British and European wrestling, all, you know, most of the old timers got, got the fuck out. They got out. They didn't want anything to do with wrestling. So it was just this crop of young kids that wanted to wrestle, but they didn't have anywhere to learn. Um, so, uh, I started doing camps over there that were, you know, helpful to them, but also helpful to me to kind of learn how to make a curriculum out of this and, you know, show people how to go into spots and how to put their matches together and whatever. So I'm four, three, four, five years into wrestling, and I'm already kind of taking people under my wing for that. Um, I look back on either things that I said or did or notes that I took, and I cringe at like, man, I thought I fucking knew everything. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm just, uh, what an asshole. I can't believe I was that critical or that this or the other, but I needed to have those moments so that I could have more clarity now when I do that. So to part of your question, no, it's not, it's not, um, uh, strange for me because my whole career, I've been trying to help people out and just create a community of, of like-minded individuals. But I will say that, I try to not expect anyone to know who I am or know what I've done because, uh, you know, two things can happen. They can not know anything about me and I'm not offended <laughs> or they can know something about me and I can be pleasantly surprised. Right. Uh, if you expect people to know you, Oh man, it's going to be a rude awakening. There are so many people in wrestling. I met 10, 12, 15 times that have no, you know, they would look at me and have no clue who I am. So, mm -hmm. Uh, and these are, you know, 
know, people that are below me, people that are above me. So it's just, it's just one of those things in wrestling. Uh, it's funny because you could meet like Tracy Smothers, right? I met him on a show in Wisconsin, a one-off show that the check bounced that whatever. Um, and it just a one, one chance encounter. And then I saw him, you know, maybe two years later back at IWA Mid-South and he remembered me. He remembered the show. He asked if I, if the check bounced for me too. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how did this guy remember this? Like, wow. Uh, so, you know, that made me feel really good. Uh, but not everybody is, is thoughtful like that. And not everybody, God, everybody just has so much shit going on that it's hard to like hold it against them if they didn't remember you or whatever. Right. So I have people that I kind of long distance mentor on the side uh, that are, that really ask me a lot of questions and how about this and how about that? And then I'll mention something from my career, expecting them to know about it. And they'll be like, wait, what? <laughs> so I'm just like, oh man, that's cool for you because you get to experience that whole different side of of my you you already think something of me because you're seeking me out for advice, but now there's this whole these extra layers that are on top of that, and that's that's always fun fun to do. So, um, I I, I like it, I enjoy it, and I never want to be unsolicited with my advice. You know, I will every now and again if I feel the vibe is right. Uh, but there is nothing, there's not nothing, but there's almost nothing worse than going to someone with optimism going, Hey, uh, yeah, I saw this one thing. Like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe blah, 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 blah. And then they could not give a fuck. <laughs> they just don't right. care. Yeah. And then you're, then you're kind of like, well, you know, what the hell. Right. But at the same time, it's like, don't put yourself in positions to have that feedback. I'd much rather people learn about me from word of mouth and then start a conversation with me and then ask what I think rather than me bending over backwards to tell them what I thought about their move or what, you know, so it's, yep. it's a tricky, it's a tricky world we live in as pro wrestling veterans where we want to help so much because uh, we want to be the big brothers that we didn't have, you know, or the big brothers that we did have, you know, like Tracy. Um, I aspire to make people feel the way he made me feel. So uh, but it's sometimes you just have to not even take chalk it up as a loss, chalk it up as a no contest, because sometimes it's just not worth it. Yeah, it experienced the same thing over and over. Um, you know, I stopped wrestling for a long time. But even so, when I went to work at the PC, you'd have people like that and people in the know that walk right up to you and know who you are, like in reference to anything in this business. And I've had plenty of guys in my class for weeks that finally ran up and said, someone showed me a match you had, and I didn't realize it was you. Like, they just didn't put two together. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, you know? And uh, and I never strived for, I like the unsolicited compliment throughout my career of wrestling or anything. I, I never run up and you, I know you, you have this to this day, somebody that comes up wanting you to, you know, basically pat them on the butt and on the head, like, great job. And you're like, this should have been here. This should have been here. Like, ultimately, you're, you're overall, like, that's the part of coaching, like, to be a positive coach. I know you, you and I feel exactly the same way that I want to be you, that positive coach. You know what I call that? Huh. How, uh, how did the moonsault look? <laughs> Hey, did, did you see the moonsault? Did you, yes. Yeah. Did the you moonsault. The moonsault? How, about that, how about that bump I took? Yeah. The yeah. moonsault was the only good thing in the match. 
No, oh, good, good. <laughs> you know, just I'm being sarcastic here, but that's kind of the thing where you like give someone your honest feedback and they're like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. What about yeah. the one thing that I know looked good? Did you think it looked good? Right, right. <laughs> I even had, I had some people a couple of days ago and uh, I stopped dead from like just blurting info. And I said, am I making sense or, you know, and I was, you know, not being condescending in any way, shape or form. At least I hope my, you know, I don't think I was. I'm like, no. And I said, tell me why you wouldn't want to go out of the ring in the first match. And then said person gave me the answer I was looking for because we want to save stuff for the other part of the show. I'm like, exactly. You already have them. You're the first match. They're excited to see you. This is why you don't go out of the ring. It's unnecessary for you to, especially if it's the first time you're seeing you guys, like you weren't positioned to be this fireworks match or, you know, and this is a place I'm talking about that had direction for their match for the most part. And no, I asked them the question. I got the answer. I'm like, okay, they're paying attention. I'm like, I've been blurting information. No, 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 please more. Like they asked for more. And I thought, okay, well, great. This is what I do. Like, I hope I can help you. Just like you said, Tracy, um, I've said it before so much, but the last time I saw Tracy was at a, uh, and I probably brought this up since we talked on this podcast so much, um, was I saw him at a Speedway show that when I lived in Springfield, Missouri, is about a half hour away. And a guy named Brian Thompson, who used to be very close with Bobby Eaton, brought in Tracy just to be a guest. I spent the whole show talking to Tracy. I wrestled, could care less what happened in the match. Lucy was with me. I said, Lucy, I'm going to go. I was like, honey, I'm going to go talk to Tracy. She's like, have fun. And I spent the whole night talking to Tracy. And I was so good for the soul after everything he's done for us. Because I let him know everything he's done for us. Every person that came through the domain, he treated like gold. Because, you know, and like you said, his memory was impeccable. I'd see him somewhere. Hey man, how you doing? You still work for here? But you know, like he just remembered in like as as crazy as that is, just the, the attention to detail. You know, I first met Tracy chasing ECW around. You know, we got in the ring and did a workout with him when he was running pre-show workouts, um, just stretches and whatnot. And then when we go to work for Ian, there you there we all are under Tracy's wing, you know. It's just just amazing. That type of you know, that's the pay it forward coaching, like. The mm -hmm. best coaches we've had. And again, we've had some of the same coaches, like the best and the worst. And you definitely, I've always strived to be, you know, and I did play a lot of sports growing up, but I remember the ones that were inspirational. And I want to be that guy. I want to be those guys. And I don't watch the Ted Lasso show. I probably should. Carino tells me I should watch it, but you know what I mean? Like, I mm -hmm. want to be an inspirational guy to, to these kids coming up and not put a damper on what they're trying to do. Yeah. You don't know or at least I didn't know what a bad coach or a bad teacher was until you have a good one. You just, you just accept them at the same level. And then you find someone that changes your life and you're like, Oh my God. Wow. How, why aren't they all like this? What the hell? Right. Man? Right. Right. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, while we're taking this walk down memory lane, I, I got to ask, are you one of these guys that can appreciate still the moments that y in your career? Like I know a guy, his name is uh, B.D. Williams. I won't use the real name. Uh, and he's a guy that doesn't, I don't want to say appreciate, but like he's been places and he does things. And when cool things happen, I'm standing next to him like, oh my God, that's amazing. And he's like, uh, yeah, that's like the ninth time. And it bums me out that even for the ninth time, he doesn't soak in that kind of stuff. You're a guy that, you know, 
made me watch NXT. I I thoroughly enjoyed the show because of you. I like I said, I don't want to like become a fanboy, but I was a huge fan of yours, uh, especially your indie work and how you treated people. That was, uh, you know, I know a lot of guys who are dickheads and I hate them. Uh, I know a lot of guys who treat me like crap that, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, Ace and I have talked about people in the past. You're not one of them. So you're a guy I root for. And hopefully uh, in my mind, when I romanticize Chris Hero, I think of a guy that walks into a room for the 500th time and still goes, I still love this man. Yeah. Thank, thank you for all that, Dennis. You're um, welcome. I've got many more, so don't worry. Yeah. So your things. Um, I, th- I think so. I think so. I do know that there was a couple years of my career where I was just doing and doing and doing and doing, and then I was missing out kind of on life life. Um, you know, I stopped following basketball as much. I stopped uh, listening to new music. I just, you know, was so focused in that I was kind of like, man, I should be able to have, you know, I should be able to do it all. I should be able to have a steady diet of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Um, so I do my best to just appreciate everything, right? Sometimes it's hard when you're in the thick of it, especially when you've got personal stuff going on that that is really tough. But if you surround yourself with the right kind of people, um, you know, whether they're super close or, you know, you have some long distance friends that you maybe only talk a couple times a year, but are still a good source of just reaching out every now and again for a funny story or something. If you have those people in your in your life and your career, it's really hard to um, not be thankful or grateful. Um, there are matches that I see that I'm like, oh my god, I don't remember that match. I don't, I didn't know, and I never thought I'd be the guy that would, you know, see a match and be like, is that me? Like, I don't, I don't remember that ring. I don't remember that opponent. Like, what the hell, <laughs> right? Um, but those things do happen. And it is nice to kind of re-experience that all over again. Um, one huge, you know, one of the hugest things in my career was getting to go over to Japan and working in Japan. And I think I owe being an only child to my self-reflection sometimes because, you know, you're just by yourself a lot. So you, you're you in your head a lot and you're, you know, you're just have those extra moments to kind of be thoughtful. But I do remember pretty much every tour I did of Japan being in my hotel room, either the first night of the tour or the last night of the tour and just be like, damn, this is crazy. Like I'm, you take a look out the window or something. You're like, man, I'm in fucking Japan. That is so weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could have, you could have been there three months out of that year, but it's still special and there's still moments. And then I think the thing that helps is finding those like-minded people and trying to, encourage them trying to like um you know like when i know somebody's going to japan or something that either has only been briefly or hasn't ever been you're like oh you know make sure you check this out go see this go get a picture of this go meet this person whatever here's some things that i did that i experienced so i hope you know i'll I'll send you guys a message on facebook so you guys can meet and hopefully you can see each other when you're there um doing that is a way for me to kind of recapture those moments that i had uh and i just love being able to to like spread that out so 
I do, you know, there are moments where I could be more thoughtful or or more reflective, but I really, uh, you know, try to do my best to, you know, appreciate what's going on while it's going on. Peace. No, I was just listening and, and loving it because I, I, I relate the exact same way. I mean, Japan was the one place I always wanted to go. When I landed there, I was exactly like a little kid. I was an infant. I looked around and I was like, holy shit, I'm here. And each and every, you know, even at the end of the tour, um, you're ready to go home. I always got on the long ones usually, but uh, um, I reflect much later than I did, especially in that time. Like I, I do that a lot more now when I think about because I think about the people I got to work with, um, you know, and the people I get to work with now and I think about experiences. Um, at the time, I didn't realize everything that was happening or the people that were around me or how again, the use the word romanticize, like how much I would romanticize about those days that you, I don't wish they were all back, but I wish there were certain elements of it. I really wish I would have journaled. I don't know if you journal at all. I wish I would have journaled and wrote down so many like little things and nuances that I have forgotten that someone like, like hero will bring it you know, something or someone hero will bring up and I'll, and I'll, it'll just jog the memory and holy shit, I forgot about that person for this exact time frame. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but like the Dave Taylor camp, Derek St. Holmes took notes and he said, I think I may have forwarded them to you. Um, he, he sent me these notes and I sat there reading them. And as wrestlers, I just took the camp and took the holds and, you know, um, and went on with my business and worked on them at different times. But to put them on paper in script and articulate them. I wish I'd done that with a lot of things in my career and had that memory stilled where I could, you know, I'm trying to do that more now where a specific time frame happens, especially now um, at my elderly age of 50, that to put it down and just have a, you know, like even over the last few years at the PC, things just fly so fast. The conversations you have with coaches and guys that have been doing this for so long and the little nuggets of information they give you. Like, uh, you know, you'll take it and you'll run in a different direction and it sticks with you. But what is the origin of that? Who gave you that nugget of information? You know, uh, again, your memory is your, your memory is pretty, pretty on spot for most anything. You have a great memory with things, which is why you are an encyclopedia of a lot of shit. So I defer to you. Like, I mean, I know you went the cage match, but still, like <laughs> you've got the backstory. You're like, I remembered Pittsburgh. I do remember wrestling David Young and uh, the other guy, Rick what, Rick Michaels. And then I had a singles match with David Young later that mm. Samu said, go out and wrestle. And we had nothing. We went out and called it in the ring. And it was either, I've never seen it, probably don't want to at this point. But I remember <laughs> how it, but I remember how it felt that I was like, holy shit, this is, I mean, challenge two people to do that today without talking over one single freaking thing. I don't think and, it can happen. This was a show with, uh, a lighting rig. Uh, it was being taped for international television and what that's, you know, what we were told at the time, even though mm -hmm. you get told that a lot of times, you're not really sure what's going on. However, <laughs> however, those tapings that I did, Samu is the one that booked me for him. Sam. Okay. Um, I met him very early in my career and he just, he's another guy I bugged on AOL. Right. And, uh, he booked me for Pittsburgh and he booked me for his dad, uh, in, um, Eastern Pennsylvania, but doing those tapings in Pittsburgh, um, I had a website at the time and not every wrestler had a website back then. And nope. I got, I had a guest book 
on my website that people could leave things like that's an archaic um you know cap time capsule from you know the year 2000 uh and a guy from germany uh left a a thing in my guest book saying that he was doing commentary on uh the matches that I had. And I was like, wait a second, mm-hmm. you saw these matches. He's like, yeah, they needed a German commentator to dub over and they're going out on this premium channel, whatever. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe those are actually airing somewhere. Holy shit. Uh, so then I'm like, do you happen to know anybody that runs shows over there and could use a, a, a foreigner? And he goes, let me put you in touch. He put me in touch with this guy named Stefan Haupt, uh, and uh, the, he had a show coming up. Uh, his group was called IWW. A uh, show coming up in Hanover that was called Clash of the Nations. Uh, and he booked me for this and sent the ticket in the mail. I did not have a passport because I, th- oh, no. I thought th- I thought this was bullshit, right? Uh-huh. So fortunately, I got my passport expedited and they had to send it my passport to O'Hare because that's where I was flying out of. So I drove to O'Hare to find the place to get my passport, to get on a plane, to go, you know, travel for the first time. That was February, 2000. So these one-off tapings that I did, they did a couple of them. I said one-off, but we did a couple of them throughout the years, uh, throughout the years, about over a six month period. I think we did like three tapings. They made their way to Germany and that was how I got booked in Germany the first time. Um, and the people crazy. that I met on that show were the people that brought me back two years later. And that's when I would start going to Germany a couple times a year. So an, a small, insignificant show that you don't think a lot about, and it turns into changing your, your career, changing your life. I will tell you this. You mentioned the NWA, whatever, if whichever anniversary mm-hmm. it was 51st or something like that, based upon those tapings in Dominion and Ed Schumann taking our footage out, we ended up doing, uh, uh, WXO. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he met Rene Goulet at out there. I for whatever reason, probably because the shoot job at the time, or uh, I had just moved to Chicago, so I was getting settled. I did not go out to North Carolina on that trip for whatever reason. But did that, you go the year prior? Were you at the show the year prior or no? No, oh, I was at the NWA 50th in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yes, uh, that was New Jersey. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was at, I worked that. We worked uh, Christopher Daniels and uh, Kevin Quinn. There you go. And that's where we first met Amy Dumas. Um, And met Lita, the future Lita. That's where we first met her. Um, But yes, I went to the 50th. For whatever reason, I didn't go to the 51st. Couldn't tell you. And, uh, but based upon that, that put us doing our first, what made us feel like pro wrestlers was the famed WXO taping. And what you're looking at me, Dennis, like, what in the fuck is that? I uh, employ you to go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> Stan Lane went to take our names down, and we were called the Hollywood Hard Bodies. They called us the Bodies. And Danny's name was Who's Your Danny Dominion? And Stan Lane wrote it as Hoosier, like Indiana. Like Hoosier Danny <laughs> Dominion. And it was getting all jumbled. And we just kind of said, they ended up calling us body one and two. I don't even think they ever called us Ace and Danny. <laughs> um, but, you know, we worked national talent. Well, it did go national. It was syndicated, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it was our first taste of working tapings at an actual, like, you know, a show that's for you. It was a showcase for the people involved. So these matches went somewhere. I turned them on in Chicago on a UHF channel, got to see, I think I had to look up the third taping. It was supposed to be four tapings. 
Uh, they ran out of crowd and ran out of energy, I believe. So three <laughs> happened. And then, yeah. you know, there's all story about the money man, which I didn't even know I need to research. But again, a little show spawns this and moves on. Our rapport and relationship starts there. It's pretty hilarious. Man, so WXW is one of those companies um, that was started in, in the wake of WCW closing, where there was okay. uh, XW, WXO, there was XWF. Uh, you yes. know, Jimmy Hart had something to do with these two. They were yep. in Florida. Um, there's a guy named Brian Zane that has a channel called Wrestling with Regret. And Regret mm -hmm. is W-R-E-G-R-E-T. He has, um, I, I, I don't know if it's called like the Promotion Graveyard. He does these spotlight videos on these companies that put okay. out a couple tapings and then nothing else became of it. Um, is WXO, is that the one where Zandig wrestled Pierce? Is that, that is right? exactly yep zandig john zandig. john yep. zandig versus adam pierce uh we wrestled the shane twins mm -hmm. at some point in mm -hmm. the hardest ring ever uh love those guys but i got suplexed way too hard on the hardest ring ever there was a johnny uh, a johnny ace promo or something too like where johnny, johnny ace, ace coming, promo and he never came coming. tugboat <laughs> the big steel man got yeah he never came there was never another show dibiase was around uh uh, Dominion and I wrestled Pierce and Tommy Rogers of the Fantastics fame, which was great. Like, you know, that was another like starstruck. Hey, I'm getting to work, you know, Tommy Rogers. And he was, you know, great. It was just, it was Lakeland, Florida. Pierce remembers, wow. again, Pierce's memory as well. He remembers exactly the venue. He goes, we yep. still run it today. You know, I'm Damn. like, I couldn't tell you. Um, was, yeah, was, no. was this the taping that Eric Priest was on? Was he on this as well? Or was that a different thing? He was not. Priest and Dominion ended up tagging for that XWF you talked about. There it is. Because I so, actually had a timeline glitch in my head where I had to look back and figure out where Dominion and I stopped teaming mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. he was teaming with Priest. I had no idea. That. Body three. Body body two and body three. <laughs> um, Pretty much. That was where I heard the story of the invisible gimmick. Do you know? Do you know that story? I've uh, I've I'm told it. i sure. I only met Priest a handful of times. He did a couple Ian shows, so I probably met him a half a dozen times or so maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more than that but never a ton but i always heard this story and i always thought it was funny so i recycled and told to other people uh the story is priest is being managed by jimmy hart and the finish is the invisible gimmick where jimmy hart hands him something and yeah. he kayfabes it and hits him with it right but the uh -huh. idea is he's not handing him anything he's supposed to make sure. it look like he's handing him something and then you yep. boom and then throw it away whatever right well i the story that i the way i had heard it you know probably 20 years ago was that he did not quite understand and when jimmy hart handed him the invisible gimmick he went oh oh shit where is it i can't i dropped it <laughs> the... yeah yeah which I actually did the invisible gimmick in a, ma a singles match I had with Balls Mahoney, so I oh, got nice. I got use of that uh, on a Norm Connor show back in the day. Please don't tell me Balls Mahoney, your receipt was a freaking chair shot. You used no, 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 okay. no, no chairs. Thank God, I did get a chair from Ian, but that's the I never I got a chair from Bull, chair from Ian, but never from Axel, never from Balls. Thank the Lord. Wow. Ooh wee. The invisible gimmick. That's amazing. <laughs> not, not part of not part of a class we ran the day that he missed that. That's just <laughs> wrestling psychology that he Steel Domain didn't teach him about the invisible gimmick. 
I'm sorry. No, we talked about the popcorn box popcorn box finish many a time, but not that. There you go. I, I want to jump in and ask Chris, do you remember when your relationship with Ace went from like business in wrestling to an actual friendship? Um, well, so that would probably go to uh, the Dave Taylor camp because we wouldn't have we would have only shared locker rooms. We wouldn't wouldn't have ever shared a vehicle, I don't think, because uh, I did some trips with Punk Cabana Prezac, but Ace wasn't always on those trips. Those were like the long drives, low pay, like, mm. you know, hop in a car. Um, and Ace was a bit older. Uh, so he was more kind of like um, the mature one in the locker room, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Imagine that. Sure it was. Uh, so I just remember having a different kind of respect for Ace, where it's like, oh, he's a he's a cool guy. He He's a good wrestler or whatever. But he also he's older, so he knows more about life and whatever. But I would have to say you, me and Punk uh, driving down to Atlanta uh, and playing hate breed. Uh, I had never heard hate breed before. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay guys, what's going on? Whatever. Yeah. Um, and up until that point, I had kind of kayfaved um, my obsession with British wrestling. I think the guys knew I liked it, but I was really obsessive about, because we couldn't get these tapes. There were, there was one Johnny St. Tape that made its way to Jeff Lynch, the, the premium tape trader in Pittsburgh. Right. And mm-hmm. I got a copy of that tape. Uh, and there were some other things that had kind of floated around throughout the years. And then of course, you know, you know, Finley Regal, those guys, you, you could watch them and you could tell there's a little something about the way they move. It's a little bit different, but you couldn't until you were like deep in wrestling yourself and you're watching uh, other technicians like a uh, Malenko Guerrero, then you're like, oh, what is it that's different about Finley and Regal? And when they grab a wrist lock or they do a takedown, like, oh, there's just when he grinds the forearm across the head for the pin or whatever, you could tell mm-hmm. it. But I was really obsessed with this and I was selfish. I was like, well, I want to, I want to be the one that does this stuff. Like, I don't, you know, so I'd be in there and trying to do cravats and courting holds without really knowing how to do them. And then uh, I believe it was advertised in wow magazine in the back of wow magazine of like the blue bloods training camp in, in Peachtree city, Georgia. And it's 250 bucks for a week. And I was like, Oh my God, I, this is it. I have to do this. I have to go find my Mr. Miyagi. Right. Uh, and <laughs> then we, as a group, the three of us, uh, punk ace myself, uh, St. Holmes flew in separately. He didn't ride in the car with us. He didn't. Um, no, he didn't. It was just the three of us. Uh, and then we met Holmes there. Um, who had crazy bad farts that week, I think, right? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, I don't, I, I for, see, I have the memory of him possibly being in the car, but I don't, you know, that's when I was working TNA at the same time. So, yeah, you I went up and wrestled so much fucking going on in my head. You went up and wrestled Derek Wild. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. pool. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. I was very, very confused about working television. Working mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, our, that's funny. You you remember that from Wow Magazine. Uh, shout out to Steve Anderson. Gets two in a row. I think the last time I mentioned Steve Anderson, yeah. he would always put us in Wow Magazine, which is a very glossy. I have a couple somewhere in the. Uh, there's a there's one that talks about pain and wrestling, and I think I got quoted in it. Um, but uh, Justin Roberts, the announcer hit us up and said, Dave Taylor, he hit me up online and said, Dave Taylor's doing a camp. And I went, 
And again, I'll, I'll say this over and over again. Well, I'm a trained wrestler. You know, why would I pay? And this is the infancy of camps. There's no mm-hmm. camps. Camps don't exist. Seminars, as far as I know, don't exist. You find old timers that give you their, the, you know, and give you their time and their advice, but that's it. And I sat there looking at this and I went, and mind you, my affinity for seeing Regal in the ring and the way he worked. And then I would see Fit Finley. Like I never saw any other British stuff. I saw them come here. And just like you said, I, I have no idea the origin of the tapes, but I would latch on to the style because I love the physical style. And, um, you know, I, now, geez, you can't get me away from watching Terry Rudge or, you know, finding something for Regal, like mm-hmm. give me something to watch. And he'll give me something off the wall that I've never even watched. Um, I sat there and I thought, well, who, you're fucking stupid, dude. <laughs> like, why would you go? This is, this is a, a drop in the bucket for the amount of money. 250 bucks would be nothing for this information. And to go, and I knew who Dave Taylor was. Like, I knew enough to, like, research him and find out, mm-hmm. well, Dave Taylor wrestled with all these guys back. You know, you look at the results and things like that. Again, infancy of the internet. And, uh, you know, the, and you're right. You took it all. Even even after that, like, I don't think I did any of it. Because I'm like, well, fuck, Hero's doing everything. So why should we bother <laughs> doing fucking cravats? Because no one did cravats then. No one did yeah. any of that, sh- any of that stuff. Where years later, years later, Regal would be like, it came down the Harleys and said, you remember all that stuff, don't you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's what we're going to do. Just, you know, we didn't talk. We walked out and just did. Um, but yeah, I remember, uh, I remember showing up there and then obviously the coup de grace, like the, the, the icing on the cake was the day after. I don't recall. I had to go to TNA on Wednesday and came back. And I remember da- walking, walking in and Dave looked at me like, oh, went over did you like making him <laughs> oh this guy he's over and i'm like uh you know whatever dave and uh and regal and finley showed up and dave showed up on uh that thursday is that's when i came back in so i don't i don't did they show up on wednesday do you recall or thursday um, we all saw them for the first time i feel like i think finley was there three of five days and i think regal was there two two okay. days or, or it was one was there twice one was there three times but like that wasn't okay. advertised in it at all it was no, just the not Dave Taylor all. camp and then he's yep. like hey i'm gonna try to get some guys to come and you know s- support and sure enough uh dennis there were six people at this camp myself <laughs> ace uh punk Derek st holmes a kid from el paso and a kid from alabama um we called them el paso and alabama sorry guys uh, don't remember your name. Hey, listeners. But please, please uh, reach out. Tell us your story. There were only so you think of that. It's like, you know, he got fifteen hundred bucks to just, you know, change our careers that week by showing us a bunch of stuff. And then it's like, oh my god, the the mileage that we got out of that over the years is just unreal. And just just the the confidence of getting in there and doing stuff. It's 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 really crazy. Um and it's essentially so, like one on one basically. Yeah. That's small. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh and then I think I took maybe the first day and I didn't talk a whole lot, but as the days went on, I would be like, um, so tell uh t- tell me about Johnny Saint. Okay. Um <laughs> tell me tell me about Jim Brakes. Do you know uh can you show us how to do the break special? And and then after a while, Dave is just like you fucking know everybody what's wrong with you you know it's just this kind of um 
but he was also very kind and would indulge us and tell us funny stories and God, what a, just, just getting to meet Dave um, and getting to know his personality. Like what a, what a cool thing. Like it's, it's unheard of to be able to do that. And actually I mentioned that I did the funk camps earlier. Um, those had a reputation about them that were kind of like, Oh, they're going to work you out of your money. Like you're not going to, you know, whatever. And I had a conversation with Dave Prezak before I met him. This was on instant messenger that just keeps coming up because we're talking about the <laughs> early two thousands. Right. And he was like, how much can you learn in a week? Right. That was his. And cause mm-hmm. wrestling is very carny. There are people that will try to squeeze dollars out of you and whatever. And, and, you know, make you think, wow, the future is so bright and all you need to do is give me $200 for this or what, you know, whatever it is. Right. So I can understand praise X mindset with that, but I thought, man, I also in the wrestling magazines, they would have these funk camps um, promoted. And I followed along before that, when he was running the Funkin' Dojo for WWF, where he was in charge. You'd see the photos of Dory in there with his like Dory mm-hmm. Funk Funkin' Dojo shirt. And he's in there with Dr. Tom and they've got uh, uh, Rikishi's there and Glenn Kulka and you've got Kurgan behind him and Mark Henry and Edge and Christian. And you're like, wow, how, okay. He does the developmental. What is that? Okay. I don't really know. They, they maybe didn't even use developmental back then. So he had just ended his deal with WWF. So he was now doing these camps. And I thought, wow, what a good opportunity for me to go there and to meet people, work one-on-one with Dory. And I'll get more out of it being an ex- somewhat experienced wrestler than someone who has no experience and is just get going to this camp to break in the business. Right. And there were some people that came there that, got nothing out of it. And there were some that got a, got a whole bunch out of it. So my first, the the first time I ever got booked for IWA mid South, I had just done the tour uh, with ICP, the juggalo wrestling tour that had IWA mid South people on it. And I was living in Dayton, Ohio at the time. They're like, Hey, come down. We do these shows twice a week, once a week, twice a week, whatever, come on down, meet Ian and whatever. So I came to the show and I had already had this bit of a prickly conversation with Prezak about like, oh, you know, you're a backyarder, like how much you're going to learn in a week, that that kind of thing, right? <laughs> um, wow. And he wasn't, I, you know, because of uh, my, I used to wrestle his wife beater and whatever, like Prezak thought that sucked. And, you know, so I, I understood where he's coming from. He wasn't being super mean, but I just knew there was a bit of a uh, bit of something there. So I get in to Ian's office and that, you know, there's people there um, and I'm introduced myself and, you know, somebody's putting me over, I don't know, whatever. And then Ian goes like, Hey, Prezak, <laughs> you know, haven't even met Dave in person yet. Hey, Prezak, can this kid work? Right. And Prezak goes, well, he did train with Dory Funk. Right. Wow. <laughs> Which to me, Prezak to this day said it wasn't a slight, but it was a kind of a like, you know, oh, well, he did train with Dory Funk, you know. Ian yeah. fucking loves Dory Funk. He loved Terry uh... Funk. He loved Dory and booked me for the next week. So it's just really funny that this thing that people were apprehensive about, I went and did one, got me booked for a show. And then now everybody does camps, everybody has seminars, but it just used to be this kind of secret thing that you'd have to. Uh, you, you know you 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 don't want to 
pay 50 bucks and a guy tries to break your leg or a guy tries to make you puke or all he does is sit sure. there and tells you everything that's wrong with the business, right? There, These things still go on. So you have to be careful about who you give money to, but it is, uh, it just used to be so much harder to, to find those opportunities. Yep. It wasn't I, long after, it wasn't long after that, that, so whatever you Harley did his first camp with less, I think in Oh four. I yeah, believe, this was which... late O2. I think it was October O2, okay. maybe November O2, something along those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense because that, that's what I worked for TNA. Was it, it was late O2 because Regal asked me the same question months ago. When did we first meet? I don't know. I got to go look it up, Darren. Yeah, yeah. I had to. I had to go to Cage Match. I'm like, well, TNA puts me here. This is where we met somewhere yep. this time. <laughs> Fucking Cage Match. Um, keep keep the site going, please. So my memory's the shits. Yeah, of course, man. What a great resource that that page is. Um, uh, also, I came back raving about this camp. We all did, uh, and I was telling uh, Claudio, who was you know one of my students at the time over in Europe, like how amazing this thing was. So Claudio flew himself to Georgia. Uh, did not rent a car. He just flew himself to Georgia, found a way to get to the hotel and whatever. And uh, he did the camp. Um, a guy from Michigan named Frankie the Face did this camp. And Jimmy Jacobs also did this camp. And there were maybe oh, wow. two, two other guys that, um, you know, we never saw ever again. But it was another small camp. And it's like, why the fuck aren't, why doesn't he have 20 people, right? He should have right. people lined out the door. This is this is just an insane, invaluable resource that people could be, you know, just learning how to wrestle, <laughs> learning different ways to wrestle and, and kind of squeezing that knowledge. Because one, how many people were teaching British style wrestling back then, even, even in England, right? That, that wasn't sure. even massive then, but like in the middle of Georgia, like go there, learn from this man. So we all had this opportunity. Uh, a couple other people had the opportunity and then it just wasn't uh, lucrative enough, lucrative enough for him. So he just kind of um, wrapped it up and closed, you know, the rent wasn't worth it. And man, you know, so many more people could have, could have benefited from that. It's crazy that my, uh, you know, my love for British wrestling and the style, of course we go that, that this carries on through both of our careers, you know, the rapport and the relationships with the people we meet at that camp. I mean, from being trained by, you know, essentially by some by Regal, some by Fit, definitely by Dave, and then becoming peers of, of theirs years later, yeah. you know, co-coaching co with them and pitching in ideas. And I'm, and I still would sit there and go, you know, sometimes like, this is what I'm doing today. You know, this is, this is how life worked out, but that's where that little, you know, again, those connections. I mean, through the years, Regal would follow me. He'd see me where I'm at, what I'm doing. If I'd see him at WWE, WWE, WWF, whatever the hell it was at the time, you know, like yeah. he kept up on us. Like people would look. Um, my one thing that I wish I'd always done has gone to Europe and worked. And Regal would always say to me, it wouldn't be what you, unless you got in the ring with Robbie or yeah. maybe James Mason. He's like, you weren't going to get what you were looking for, Ace. He was like, it, it wouldn't be, you know, it, you weren't, I, of course, would want to go over there and hop in with any type of old-timer that was there. But there were no Terry Rudgers anymore. There were no, you know, if you got Robbie, and I'm sure a lot of people were clamoring to get Robbie in the ring if he was working. I mean, and as far as I knew, he was pretty steadily working, would be at the time. But it, and you would have done that. You went over, you worked Robbie, you know. Now, again, Robbie's a peer and a friend. But 
the people I would have wanted to learn from, they didn't really exist anymore. Yeah. To your point. I, my time in Europe, my first several years in Europe was working with guys that were new and learning to wrestle. So I'd go to Switzerland. I'd go to the Netherlands. I'd have a show in Austria. And you did have a couple old pros on those shows, a couple of them, but it just, mm -hmm. they were, it was independent wrestling shows. Um, and also the, the, the more veteran wrestlers looked, some of them would kind of look down on those shows because they're like, who are these guys who trained mm -hmm. them? They don't, uh, you know, the business is changing or whatever. So it wasn't like there was an easy relationship to just, Oh, let me go over there and do a tour a tournament for, 30 days or something it's like that didn't really exist they would do maybe yeah. like a 10-day tournament like christian Eckstein would do one uh, and he'd have a handful of people and there'd be some leftovers from the end of the tournament era but it was really hard to get on those shows and you know maybe doug williams is going to get on that show right sure. um maybe uh you know a handful of guys from from austria or germany are going to get on those shows but it's it's just it's not the same it's a it's a different experience um Dennis, before I forget, I would like to tell you a story from our Dave Taylor camp. Please. All right. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to tell this story. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell it in reverse. If you well, look at the, action, I like this. If you look <laughs> at uh, the, the top 10 movie movies in the theater at that, at that time, right. Uh, the ring was out. Uh, the very first jackass movie was out. Uh, there was a movie called Abandon, and there was a movie called Sweet Home Alabama, right? I actually like that your, movie. You may ask yourself, why the hell do you remember this? I remember this because, as I mentioned prior, there were two other young wrestlers at this camp with us. One was El Paso, and one was Alabama. And we <laughs> were taking shit can bumps, like just go get throw someone shit can them over the top rope shit can means to get rid of to mm -hmm. get someone out of the ring throw them in the trash kind of um and alabama was young and athletic and uh, i don't think he had a ton of experience at the time uh but he got shit canned and this motherfucker took a flip bump to the floor and yes. it made this like ungodly yes. We're like, oh, sh oh, God, are you? And Dave Taylor is like, you know, one, <laughs> you know, one, his physical body of like, oh, my God, that would hurt. But also like uh, insurance liability, like, oh, my God, you know, I'm sure he was shitting his pants. Right. He was fine. He was perfectly fine. We went out to eat uh, and it was, you know, probably the four of us, uh, you know, Derek Punk, Ace and myself. And as we were pulling into the little plaza that would have the restaurant, there was also a movie theater. And I glanced over at the titles for the movie theater and no joke. It said, Alabama, abandon the ring jackass. <laughs> we were like, what? how the you know the gods are speaking to us in that moment alabama abandon the ring jackass and he abandoned the damn ring he didn't show back up did he after that bump i feel like they they fell off by the end of the week for it is it, it is possible yes yeah. uh i do remember punk saying you know a year or two later or something that alabama had come up to him at like a tna show and was like hey you know nice to see you i was at the training camp and then 
Punk was like, "Hey, you're alive! Like, wow, good to... <laughs> glad glad you made it, pal!" Right? Wow, that's good. We ate at sorry side side story. We ate at Abby's uh, mm-hmm. ribs and Chinese food. Did we not? And watched we hardcore did. wrestling and ate that food. It was awful. It was awful. House of ribs and Chinese food. What it was? Um, it was the and, shits. Ooh. It was the shits. But to be there though, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's something that you have to do. But I was just stunned at the the lack of quality i mean of course you've got abdullah with his fork he, you'd think he'd be a bit of a, a better uh um better better culinary uh instincts but well i i have another question and this is kind of for both of you uh one of the things that fascinates me is how quick the indie scene kind of revived itself that it felt like it kind of as a fan, maybe not for you guys who were pounding the pavement, but as a fan, it just seemed like overnight the in, the the indie industry just exploded, and then you know all these streaming services, the podcasts, everything just you know built this amazing, interesting ecosystem that brought all these fans back, and it seemed you know I'd even say from. 2017 to 2022 the industry indie industry has changed so much uh for you chris when you get out of your tour of duty with the federation and now you have to go or or want to go back into this whole indie scene how much did it change from you know when you signed that contract to when you left and is it like a whole new world for you? Is it kind of still familiar territory? And especially for you, Ace, I mean, you know, the early days when of the explosion of the industry, I'm so fascinated with that whole thing. Um, so it changed because uh, I started back with NXT in January of 2017. Uh, and then, you know, I was let go April of 2020. So it's you know, three, almost three and a half years. And that was when, you know, everybody got signed, right? Then there was a brand new company. Even more people got signed. Uh, and it just was like, it depleted the scene so much. Um, and I am a firm believer that talent will always find a way. You're always going to mm-hmm. find these generational talent that pop up and people that really love it and people that want to get good at it. They're always going to be there. Uh, but they just did not have the resources that we had coming up. They didn't have the veterans. They didn't have the um, the luxury of working with someone 10 times over six months because it's like you're in a match with this guy. You're meeting him for the first time. You're in a match with this guy. Oh, you met this guy before, but you've never wrestled. All right, you're in a four-way with these three guys that you've never met before. So you're not getting a, a consistent chance to these are all like one-off situations where it's like, Oh man, uh, we've got six minutes. What do we do? Uh, and then what are you really learning from that situation? Right. You, you can't absolutely learn, but oh, consistently over like six months to a year to two years, the ability to learn on the job has just changed drastically. Um, I, I said this earlier, uh, I did a, a show with post wrestling earlier today, and I said the you know independent wrestling scene uh, was filled with fatherless children, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that they don't have locker rooms full of six, seven, eight veterans that they can 
look from afar, see how they operate, see how they conduct business, see how they perform, um, and then pull up a chair next to them and listen to them tell stories and then pick their brain and ask them questions, right? Though some of those people, there there absolutely are veterans that you can do that with, but it's just, it it is not the same. And when you have all these people getting signed to contracts and then leaving the scene and a new company coming in and taking even more people, then you have a worldwide pandemic where people are so distant from each other. There aren't the road trips anymore. Uh, they don't have live fans to work in front of for a long period of time, I think it kind of stunts your growth uh, in learning, being put in a position to learn, to work in the ring, to come up with a good match beforehand, to feel it out, to listen to the audience, to change course or correct course as need be, like that the, the ability to do that has changed drastically. And that is on us, the veterans, to create a better work environment for everyone. And also it's on the promoters to develop the talent, right? Because not everybody's a finished product anymore. You do have your finished products, but you also have talent that are still very much on the job training. And you need to put them into in a situation that they can that you can put them in that situation and six months from now, see how they've learned and grown and developed instead of what did you do over the last six months? Well, I had a six man tag. I had two, four ways, a three way, uh, and then a singles match. And it's, it's tough to learn in that environment because you're learning different skills that uh, you're learning how to put together a multi-man. Great. Uh, but you're also probably not getting 15 minutes to put a really good heat on someone to be able to dictate when you slide in a hope spot, how we get, how we go home, um, how we need to cut that false finish out because we're here. And if we do that extra false finish, we'll bring it down too much and then have a finish that's satisfying but not as satisfying right you need to have those experiences and the the people that are helping produce the shows the people that are in the main events uh the people that are promoting the shows need to encourage talent and provide a a better situation for them so they can learn as much as possible because it's hard it's hard wrestlers are young and hungry and they want to learn and um there is very much this misconception about the younger generation that they don't listen and they don't want to right? Yes. There, you will always have that in every Avenue of entertainment or sports or whatever. You will have some talent that are just like that and they're fine. Right. But you will find people that are so hungry. They're so thirsty for knowledge. I do some of these seminars and sometimes there's 35, 40 people and you're like, Holy shit, where are the, is it like a gremlin situation? Like did somebody pour water on a wrestler and overnight (laughs) they sprouted 20 new wrestlers, right? So it's up to us to provide as much information and as much life experience and career experience that one of them, two of them, three of them can latch onto that and it can take their career in, in places that they didn't expect. And then not just them, the people that they influence. Uh, I said this again earlier on the show that I did. It's like, you just had that Osprey versus Omega match, right? Uh, And there are polarizing thoughts in it, but I guarantee you there will be wrestlers that broke into the business, you know, five years from now that that is the match that they saw that made them think, fuck, I want to do this. Right. So we're not even talking about the wrestlers that are in the locker rooms. Now we're talking about the wrestlers that are going to be in the locker rooms. 
uh, that will be main eventing shows and opening shows and coming up with new characters and concepts that uh, mm-hmm. we probably aren't hip enough to understand yet. Uh, but no but shit. we're going to try. We're going to try. So that's my long-winded answer to that. What you got, Ace? Um, I am a firm believer of everything you said. Um, it was an eye-opener for me because I pretty much, let's just say I pretty much dipped out of wrestling in 08, 09. I would sporadically come back, but I paid not attention to this, to anything. Like when NXT was happening in its infancy, I'd come in and watch a takeover, but I didn't watch the televisions. I didn't watch, I just didn't pay attention to anything. And when I became a coach at the PC, I had to get a whole new appreciation for everything that's happening. And to sit there and think about, just like you said, there's going to be a kid that watches Osprey and Omega and think like, that's the fucking blueprint. That's what made me get into this. Kylie Ray said, she was like, I don't know if I could say this, but, or, you know, I feel kind of silly, but uh, Punk's pipe bomb is what kind of got me like really wanting to, and I said, that's cool. Like, <laughs> I would hear people say, I watched Rock and Austin. And then in some ways you could go, man, watch some old ladies NWA. Watch, you know, I would make them my class, watch some older things for many a different thing. Like there's a lot of things that, don't apply anymore you don't get caught in the sleeper and usually raise the arm for three and then oh brother here we go like <laughs> that stuff really doesn't work so much anymore but you can always suspend disbelief and it, it i do agree with the promoters nowadays should hopefully if they can find a veteran that can help these kids and open up the room to them that don't know how to walk up to anyone and speak the last two seminars. I said the exact same thing for the most part, go make connections, shake hands, say hello to people, ask advice. And then someone was like, well, what if there's someone that doesn't, I said, well, then not everyone's going to be open to be doing this, but build a rapport with people. Trust me again. A lot of the people I have rapport with now or repeat people I've had rapport with for many, many years. And it just starts with a simple hello. But getting the proper critiques, not thinking that you are, you've got, I, I, I believe that too, working with so much, I just worked with talent a couple of days ago in LA and they were open to all the critique in the world. Now they were pointed in my direction. Please go ask Ace. Yes, we were told, I had two people come to see me three times that I was producing and I said, please, I'm sorry. And I went and sought them out afterwards to give mm-hmm. them their critique, hundred percent had their attention. Again, asking them questions if they were, you know, responding to what I was saying, or if I was just a hot bag of air, and no, and they had questions to return it. Um, Haku asked me the same thing. There's my name drop. What do you think happened to our business? And I said, you guys aren't left. It falls on us. Like who's left to teach these these kids out there? Dare I say, kids? I'm, you know, I'm at that age now. Where everyone's a fucking kid. But there's no one to, you know, when someone, hey, you know. The worst part is, hey, did you see my match? Ask me to watch your match because I, you know, I'm a hundred percent. I tell people that when we would do the AEW dark tapes, I would say, if you want me to watch your match, find me and just all you gotta do is walk past me and go, I'm up, and I will stop what I'm doing. And I've done it so many times. I'm sorry, I promise I'd watch this. We'll con- we'll continue later. And I went straight to the monitor to watch or walked out and watched that way because if they ask for the critique, like. I mean, it's just, it, it's egg on our face if we don't try to help these people. And I had so much fun. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do now. If we're not in ring again, I don't know the last time you worked or what's in your future. I work sporadically. In fact, let's just put like nothing on there. I don't, 
I don't even really care about working anymore. I care about helping the future, helping the future with little tips and tricks, you know, to, from what I've got to pay it forward. You know, I, I feel it's my duty at this point, not just my job, but it's my duty to help people. Like there's so many people that helped me out through the years and there's not people to seek out as much. Um, we don't have, I mean, I sat there once going down a list of the legends that I've gotten to work because I just I smile. Like, look at all the people I've gotten to work, whether you deem them a legend or not, but a Hall of Famer in my book, somebody from back in the day that I might have watched as a kid. And you and I both, I've gotten to work people that I grew up watching. And you know, I didn't walk up to them and say, man, I used to watch you all the time. Like, no, I just <laughs> sat and listened and tried to work. And the unsolicited compliment that I would get from that was all I needed and then ask, hey, what can I do? Or they would offer their information. To them, it was a job. So if you didn't ask, that's why we were taught in one, you know, back in the day, not to take the pictures, not for this, not for that. This was a, a flat job for them. Like they wouldn't work on a car today and they come home and, you know, they're, they're done working on the car, you know. Um, will you take some, a picture the, with my car? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you, you, you did the transmission. Will you take a picture of the transmission? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. You know, nowadays we take the pictures because, the, and there's, you know, I've used this story before after I worked Tommy Dreamer, I said, Hey, and I learned a lot from just working with Dreamer. Like it was an easy walk and talk. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, you know, there was no giant critique afterwards. It's just getting to work with somebody that's worked, you know, six degrees to, 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 to Terry Funk at this point. Um, but, you know, afterwards, like, Hey, you care if we take the Mark picture? And he said, I know I've used this on the show before, but he said, do you know how many pictures I have of Mick Foley and Terry Funk and I together? Just action shots. I don't really have a lot where we just stood together and what they meant to my career. And when I go back now and I look at all the pictures I have of Harley and what he's meant to my career, you know, I don't have a whole, I don't have an album of pictures of me and Harley race. Cause I just, someone snapped them when we were together. It was great. I wish I had more. I wish, I wish also, as I talked about journaling, I would have journaled more of my conversations with him. When I would just walk into his office and pop in the tape with uh, Stan Hansen and Harley Race versus the Road Warriors, and he would go, why in the fuck would you book this? You know, <laughs> who's selling? <laughs> who's who's going to sell? You know, um, I the indie scene got lost at some point. And like I said, I dipped out. So when we were coming up, even though I started earlier than Chris, like we we cut the same chops at the same places. You know, even though I was a little bit older, that just means I, I, I feel in a lot of ways is a bit of a handicap for me because I had to figure out what indie wrestling was. I came in at the tail end of territories like I missed them by. I still could have gone to Memphis, but it was really a dying territory. I still could have worked Memphis. I remember the call I got. and I didn't go, um, but I missed the territories. And when I first worked in the Sportatorium. In the Tampa Sportatorium, I had no idea what that fucking place was. I had no idea where I was at, you know, like how legendary that place was. And years later, this is where you reflect and you go, holy shit, look where I was, you know. Um, I didn't know that that was really what indie wrestling was, the outlaw shows. And so, like I say, the handicap of starting so early, but then I would learn and learn and learn. And then when we got together, then we really had a great group of people. When I saw WCW crash, I thought, fuck now what am i gonna do all these wrestlers are gonna be available and i'm just a guy out here that doesn't fucking know anybody you know and then but i mean it, again um you know talent will rise to the top if you have some talent and you stick with it and learn the proper way you'll get there you know you'll get there you you have hard work 
each one of us had different times. Same with Punk. We did TNA the same day. He wasn't ready for prime time at that point. And then I worked TNA for a little while. Give it a year. He's back working that after mm-hmm. his feud with Raven and learning a little more. And then I know you did like the explosion tapings and stuff like that. Yep. And then how many years does, you know, it staggers. And when you went to Japan, I know when I got to go to Japan, we all thought it was kicking the shit out of each other. Then you get there and you go, oh, no, this is not it's you can't kick the shit out of each other every day of the week on a tour. It's got to be it's got to be, you know, the wrestling. It's it, it, it becomes a living. You have to do day after day when the red lights on or the big shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much to learn and so much we can give these people. I mean, and again, when I prop back when I pop back into wrestling again, here, here I am back into a career in wrestling. One of the things that I couldn't stand was having to remember everything. Oh my God. And now I got to write down everything. Usually what's <laughs> happening, yeah. like the, the active, but you still have to have, and you can attest to this. We used to have a, a war Raider Ivar come in when he, when he was just on injury. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the guys in the ring in the class, Carino and I, and I said, you're still going to have to have an element of improv guys. You're going to have to work on the fly. And he attested to that by saying, Vince wanted to see us wrestle three minutes longer. That's not what we called in our six-minute match. So you've got to fill in. Let them go to a break, come back, and, and fill in the blanks. Can you fill in the blanks, people? Oh, my God, no. I mean, how many matches have you seen of people that, unfortunately, were green people that were just taught television wrestling? Put a hold on. What hold? Oh, not the hold you talked about earlier. Find another. I mean, there's just so much. And I say, oh, like, it's not their fault. Um, it's, it's, it comes, it falls upon us to help them. And I think it, it, and echoing what you said, we've got to let them know that we're out here ready to talk to them and listen and hear them. And it's not damn these people. Like I said, at first, the, the first thing I heard was, well, I watch, I grew up watching rock in Austin. Oh boy. You know, well, no, that's what you grew up on. Yeah. Kylie Ray grew up on, on the, you know, the pipe bomb promo. By the time I stopped wrestling, nobody knew I wrestled. Unless they look up Wikipedia and say, oh, you train him or you work with him or now things surface, you know, mm-hmm. somebody puts out there, um, th- th- there's stuff everywhere, right, of, of everything. And I had that with, with guys at the PC that were watching, you know, then they get the background on, on their coach and things like that. Other people knew 100% who you were, but back to the original topic. Um, yeah, we, we just... At some point, it changed, and we need to, as a whole community of wrestlers and the promoters, get people on those shows to help out the talent, to help out the greater good with the direction. Yeah. Dennis. Yes. The thing that young aspiring wrestlers uh, don't quite know yet is that there is no blueprint, right? There's no blueprint. There's no magic beans, right? Uh, You can... Uh, go to the performance center, right? And you can sit next to Shawn Michaels and you can listen to everything he says for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, right? But there comes a time when you have to put yourself in Shawn Michaels' shoes and go, not what does he say? It's why does he say it? Why did he do that, right? So that's the problem with a factory. You're creating people that think alike, that act alike, that whatever, uh, and they're they're following orders, right? And that's what they're supposed to do. To keep your jobs, you gotta. You, to, your job is to keep your job, right? Uh, that's a Doctor Tomism, 
whatever your whatever your job is that day, your job is to keep your job, right? It changes day to day. So the problem with uh, especially taking people that don't have pro wrestling context in their brain or their heart, um, they're just already at a disadvantage because it's harder to make the right decision in in the heat of the moment or when you're calling a match, right? Because if you're always doing something because somebody told you that's the way to do it, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work nine times out of 10, but there will come a time when you need to understand why that person made that decision to do this. And you need to know the one time when that doesn't apply so that you can make your own decision, right? So it's guys will drive themselves crazy by asking five, six, seven people their opinions on a match, right? <laughs> and then you paint yourself into a corner because now you got all these guys that have some kind of a connection to you and are going to be watching you to see if you listen to their feedback. And it is impossible to get feedback from three or four different people and apply all of their feedback because a lot of it will contradict. And then you run the risk of ruining a relationship with someone by looking like someone yep. that, oh, well, what'd you think? Oh, fuck that doesn't work for me, brother, you know, whatever. And you do it your own way when in actuality it's there's nuance, there's nuance to everything we do. So I'm, I don't want to write a book so that people can read the book and know how to do this. I want people to read the book and then think about it and then write their own fucking book so that they can influence more people and go, Oh, I did this because of this. And I, in this situation and the trickiest thing in all of pro wrestling is that once you get over, there are no fucking rules. There are no rules. You can do whatever you want because everything will get over. If you're over, right. You can take the rock you could pull up, pull apart all this stuff that the rock does and certain things should not work, but they work because he's the rock. That's the same thing with the young bucks, right? The bunks bucks have a very specific style that they're very fucking good at. And you can take it and be like, Oh, I'm going to do that. Well, guess what, pal? You're not the young bucks. It's not going to work for you. So you have to learn not what they're doing. Like, uh, like in developmental, right. People would watch Randy Orton because Randy is like the prototypical developmental turned superstar turned hall of yep. famer. Like he is the guy you follow his career or whatever. They're studying his matches with like edge and undertaker. Right. And I'm like, no, go watch him from OVW. Right. Give yourself a base. Then go watch his, uh, RKO news or RKN or whatever it was when he did the news segments, when he was out with his, with his arm, then watch his first match with John Cena, then watch his last ma match with Cena, watch his WrestleMania moments as they go by and look at the development of where he started here and where he ended up. Because if you try to copy finished product, Randy Orton, you're going to fail because on the odd chance that you are as good as him and look as good as him and have the same mannerisms, you're still a copy, right? You, you have to be like how good, you know, as a pro wrestler was Benoit when there are some people that are like, well, dynamite kid was still better, you know? Right. He, <laughs> and he poured himself into that to become the generation's dynamite kid. Right. But there, you know, it was so much of a copy that, you know, it loses. I, I mentioned, I think, did I mention generation loss with you guys earlier? Did I say that? Or am I, I confusing my interviews? So generation no, loss is when you let's, let's, we're talking about videotapes earlier, right? 
you get a first edition masters uh uh best of super juniors right and then then you copy it and you send it to your buddy and your buddy copies it and sends it to his buddy and then he he copies it and sells it to three or four people right now you have these fourth generation copies that are out there they've got the tracking uh the audio is a little bit off the quality it's the same match it's the same tournament it's the same thing but it doesn't look the same because it's not the original right so that happens a lot in wrestling where we see something and we want to take it and we want to emulate it and all we're doing is just a qual a, a, a quality like a lesser quality copy that doesn't have that sharpness to it because it's not original right so it's for it's our job as talent to figure out what made this good and how can i make it good for me and how can i make it even better right there are just uh that's that's the fun part of wrestling and then when you get a a group of like-minded individuals that encourage and push each other and maybe this guy has an idea and this guy says something and what and before long you forget where the idea came from but it's an idea that makes you millions of dollars and you're like holy shit all right there there it is but you can't get that by reading a manual there's no blueprint you can't sit next to someone in the locker room and listen to them and okay now i got it because you have to develop your own brain based on all your evidence that you've acquired throughout the years and there aren't enough sources out there these days for people to go and do their own research and gather all that intel or or whatever a, a scientist would do to to figure out you know his formula you're so smart i listen mm. normally these podcasts are like 40 45 minutes i think we're at an hour and 20 now because i just don't want to stop listening to you to talk oh, shit we were <laughs> The, this... Well, let's we can wrap it up in just a bit, but then uh, then we'll come back and do another one. Well, let's let's do them all the time now. You guys are my <laughs> new best friend. I mean, Ace Ace knows I he has to block me on an hourly basis because I won't stop texting him. So, you know, you got that going for you soon. And just mute your conversation, buddy. It's okay. You don't yeah. bother me. No, yeah, but uh, Ace, is there anything else? Not really. I mean, the way he articulated it, I mean, is excellent. It's uh, it's this business, and I'm just going to say it as plain as it is, it's a mindfuck. It's a mindfuck all the way around. And you're going to have the highest, uh, highest of highs, highest of lows, figuring this business out. We've all been in a spot where we're, we've been lost, where we think we figured it out. Um, the greatest thing about having people that can teach you and teach you with such a positive attitude is hopefully they've been through such circumstances and they can help you learn again like you said you've got to figure it out when does your brain turn on and figure out you know there is no magic potion beans here's the keys to the car can you fucking drive it do you drop how many times do you drop them before you put them in the ignition um whatever analogy you want to put into this um i just look forward to keeping the next generation I love everything I've been getting to do. I know the same for him. I can tell by the way he talks. Um, and again, the, exactly what you said, the thing about when you, when you get out of the business, you become way more and not out of the business, but if you back up from in-ring for a second and start coaching, you really have to think of a way and, and know, you know, you got to do the Myers-Riggs almost with everybody and see how they learn because not everybody learns at the same pace. I certainly learn by doing how do you teach each and every person? I mean, 
um, no, I appreciate. I, I hope to coach with you very soon. Let's put it that way. Cause it I love be you. Pl- it'd be a pleasure, man. I love you too. Hell yeah. 20 plus years of, of on and off friendship. Um, it is, we got to leave it better than we found it. Right. We have to create a better path for, for those that are coming in the future. And we also have to like not overwhelm them. Right. Because I have so much in here that just is like, I can, you know, I want to talk to someone for three hours about something, but sometimes three minutes will suffice and then let them kind of do their own work. And, um, and it's also on us to not get caught up in, uh, there's this, there's this great, um, let me see if I can find it. Give me a moment to, um, see if I can find this on my phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hold on. It, fast forward. It'll be. All right. I'm not. Okay. I thought I'd be able to access it pretty quickly. I can't. Right. Uh, there is an old blurb about how from, from a veteran pro wrestler that's like talking about a specific wrestler where he's like, he's just an acrobat. All he does is this circus show and it's, it's killing the business and what it just basically paints a picture of, you know, basically several podcasts that operate today. Right. Uh, this is Carl Gotch talking about Harley race, Harley race. I knew exactly yeah. where you're going. Yep. And you're like, wait, hold on. Harley race should be talking about talking like that about other people, you know? And it's like, no, at one point people saw Harley and they thought he was a stunt man. They thought he's out there jumping off the top rope all willy nilly. Right. Um, so we just have to be conscious that that is our impulse. Our impulse is to go, well, they're fucking doing this and they're doing that, Right. And like that, um, abrasiveness is, not conducive to teaching, right? You have to like befriend them and you have to encourage them. You have to show them like, Hey, we just want you to get better reactions in your matches. We want you to be safer. Uh, you know, the whole thing of, um, less is more. Like I talk about this all the time, right? You'll hear, hear less is more. And I shit on it because a lot of the people that wield less is more, don't have your best interests at heart. They're just trying right. to like, oh, less is more. Like, and they say it like it's this profound, like, don't you know that less is more? And they're, you know, and you're like, oh wow, I never thought about it that way. Right. But the the way you should take that and put a positive spin on it is to get more out of less. How can I get that same reaction with doing one less false finish or one less dive or whatever. So that when I do that extra dive and that extra false finish, it actually elevates and it makes the the crowd even hotter. It makes the show even better. It makes the match more memorable. Right? So we're not, we have to, we can't always wrestle for ourselves. And I know it's hard to come to grips with that because it's our bodies. We're trashing our health uh, to do this thing. So we should get something out of it. Right. But that's instead of doing our favorite moves, um, we should get out of it. The satisfaction of knowing 
we provided the most entertaining, the most uh, emotional roller coaster y uh, event for someone that is watching. And then is also at the same time, simultaneously, it's influencing and encouraging others to be. God, how many times, Ace, have you seen a match with your peers and you're just like, man, fuck them? What the fuck? <laughs> you know, why? Are, uh -huh. oh, God, uh -huh. you know, you're just like, you know, I wish I was that good, or I wish I could have that same thing. Right. And it should encourage us to like, all right, how can I do that? And it's like, mm, we should, yeah. you know, do something more dangerous from the balcony. And it's like, uh, I no. don't know. Right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's, we have, we can't lose sight of our hopes and wants and dreams and know that they're not the hopes and wants and dreams of the current generation. We have to like, you know, like, burrow in under their skin like a parasite and then lead them in the right direction you know and then then we can uh live vicariously through them because they're not having their matches for them they're having them for us right this so it's why ex this is why exactly i don't shoot down every fucking idea mm -hmm. someone has i will try to help direct and then i'll say you know what go on because maybe i'm i'm exactly what you're saying maybe i'm completely fucking off my rocker and wrong and something comes out and i'm like look at that that's fucking beauty or when it does go wrong, they come back and go, I was going to mention that, but I didn't want to say that to you. I wanted you people to learn because that's how I mm -hmm. learned. That's mm -hmm. how Harley taught me. That's how everybody taught me is that to make it, I mean, again, I made my own mistake or it didn't, it, it's not even a mistake. It's a, it's a, it, the learning experience from it. I need to take the word mistake out of there. Mistake yeah. had, if someone's hurt, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. If it's again, people are crying over a wrestling match, like like physically or my God, I I shit the bed. You shit the bed. It's one match. Yeah, let's move on and make it better the next time. Yeah. You uh, one one of the guys that I hold in such high regard as a friend, as a as a coach, um, as someone that does seminars, Scotty Tuhati, right? Huh, yes. Um, he's just uh, he's a very friendly face for for young talent to like you know, he's encouraging. Uh, he just is, he can be very, very helpful and God, he's done tons of stuff in the business, right? Yeah. You take someone like him and how many fucking people were furious when they saw him do the, the worm and the chop. Like there were probably mm -hmm. so many vets that were like the, okay, the business is finally dead, you know? Right. 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 When he's a guy that's making contributions to this day to pro wrestling. And it just, like I said, when you're over, you can do anything. You can literally do anything. And then when you're, it's when you're not over and you're doing anything, that's when it sucks. And you're like, yeah, exactly. that's you have to have that professional and personal maturity to go, okay, I did it because I wanted to do it. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the right thing. Here, here's my rant guys, because I've just taken so much information from you guys, but you've, you've hit a nerve with me. Not, not you guys hitting a nerve uh, as a guy that, once again, I, I'm a fan first, and I've been very lucky to have been led on the inside by some very great people. So I've seen, I hear, I know things, right? Uh, the the lack of mentorship is a big gap between you guys and the generation before you. But, you know, you, and I like I name calling out people doesn't make me cool or not, but like you, it seems like the Jim Cornets, the Kevin Nashes, and all those guys don't want to mentor. They don't want the industry to change from what they know. You guys are mentoring, but you're letting the industry evolve where those guys don't. 
you listen to them and this is the way it should be. This is the way I was taught. I, I listened to both of you guys talk and you're like, this is the way I was taught. This is the way the industry is going and I'm fusing them both together. So I think there's that, that interesting gap between the people that should be mentoring those guys and you guys helping mentor them. And it, it feels like you guys are on, on an island by yourselves now trying to do what the generation before you did, didn't do, just kind of gave up. And there's the exception to the rule, and I don't mean every single one of them, but it seems like there's a big gap between what the generation before you should be doing and what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think – if I can mention my name and Ace's name along with two guys uh, that I think always evolved and always encouraged, right? Tracy Smothers and Terry Funk, right? Those guys, you know, I never heard Terry Funk going on a podcast and shitting on guys for doing whatever they do, right? Right. <laughs> he climbed his ass up there and he did it. Right. Sure. Maybe as a questionable decision, but whatever. He's Terry fucking funk. Right. And same with Tracy. <laughs> Tracy would uh he'd see the guys do a bunch of crazy moves, right? He'd be sitting at the monitor, right? Or poking his head out of the curtain. And they would do some stuff that maybe psychologically doesn't make sense. And maybe there's not a lot of selling. And Tracy would turn and go, Well, they done did all my moves. Right. So he would take it in like a funny, funny direction, but he wasn't trying to stifle the originality or the creativity. He was just trying to siphon it and he would give you a compliment sandwich that would make you blush. And that there'd be that thing in the middle that you'd be like, well, next time I wrestle in front of Tracy, I'm going to make sure that I don't have my hair in my face during the heat because they can't see my face and they can't right. sympathize with me. Cause you know, I got my hair in my face. So I need to make sure that my face is out. Okay. Tracy told me that I need to remember to do that. Or like, Oh, I ended my comeback too soon. And then it fell flat. Whereas you want to reward the fans for sitting in on that heat and really believing so that you let that comeback ride and end it at the right time instead of going for a pin too early because then it's right. So we want to be these guys that are encouraging uh, and inspiring that, that younger generation and telling them it's not, you know, we can sit and shit talk about wrestling, but do it in like a funny bust your balls kind of way. Not a, I can't believe the gall of these young wrestlers to do this and do that. Cause the same thing happens in the music industry, right? New music comes out and people are like, Oh, what is this shit? You know? Oh, I don't get in. It's like, well, you don't have to like it, but how's their tour doing? Right. How'd their last record, how many streams do they have? There will right. be artists that appear on things and I'll click on their name and I'll be like, well, uh, he has 600 million streams on his latest song. So maybe I don't like it, but someone does and 600 million streams. That's some money to somebody. Right. So it's, yeah, we have to be vigilant to not let ourselves get wrapped up too much into the, this is the way the business should be. But, you know, we may get some, you know, get some of our mentees in there and, we can help them not make the mistakes that we made or to do one small thing that makes them 1% more successful. And then when you see it, ah, it's just so fulfilling, right? When you, yep. it used to be, we would put a match together, 
running around, running, 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 running. Maybe take the referee, call the match to the referee. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, right. Go out there. Don't forget it. Do this, right? Now, as producers or coaches, we're running around. I got to memorize three matches with like interesting cutoffs and this and this dive and here, there. Like, I got to remember all this to like, to also be present to let people know when I think something is really not best for the match or to just like sit back and go, all right, I'm just taking notes on this one, whatever, to make sure that we present them as good as possible. Right. So now we've gone from remembering our one match to like helping collaborate with two or three matches. And then it's like, you get to feel that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling and you don't have to take a bump. You don't have to get, you don't have to get punched in the lip. You don't get a black eye. Like, wow. You know, my back hurts from walking around all day and you know, the, the seed and this and that, but like, honestly, I didn't take a bump. So I'm good. We're good. I I feel like we are certainly, I like to be progressive, certainly. And you have to put yourself in that mindset. Um, I also feel like the two you mentioned, like, like Jimmy and I don't know, Kevin Nash from anything, but I remember Jimmy working the old ROH days. Like, he was there for the CZW ROH mm-hmm. Cage of Death, which there's another podcast we could talk about, Dennis. We were on opposite sides of the Cage of Death. Um, but Jimmy never damned us, and we were still doing crazy, stupid spots and stupid fucking things. Like, he helped. So I'm going to dare say maybe there's a lot of gimmick gimmick going into that. But that's, you know, I think for the greater good, he would want to see wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think everybody wants to see wrestling flourish. So... Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, you know, in the back of my head, like, oh, my God, what the fuck, you know. But my flavor of ice cream, what again, whatever analogy you want to put it, the pizza that we put together, the buffet, I, I love that there's all that in wrestling. I've, I've been in some goofy matches. I've been in a drag match with Mae Young and Moolah. You know, I've had, you know, a wig on and a dress. Like, I've done some stupid shit. <laughs> Uh, but the integrity of what we all want, I think, is paramount. And, you know, as far as, like, kids go, we all want – I think we all want the same thing. We all just want some good TV. I think everybody – look at me putting a happy spin if I can. But, I mean, I think everybody wants something good to watch. They just also want to liken it to what they – I mean, I had to let it go. I I certainly a lot more than, than I want to watch a lot of flips and dives. I want to watch – 1980s NWA. That's the stuff I love. But I'm watching Dick Slater and Nick Bockwinkle and appreciating that. I think some of that still works with the right guys. Mm-hmm. Again, when you're over, do whatever the fuck you want, you know. Um, but no, I, I think we're all. I think all of us want the greater good of what this is. I think part of that, some of that stuff is the shock TV, the shit, you know, that the podcast and stuff like that. There's some that just want to fucking get their opinion out and skew pro wrestling their own way and so be it like let's just keep the love going and, and good shit going and good content you know well, I, I think just a lot of people want to be heard or feel heard and they yes. just want to be like considered you know and i think when you have this long stretching feeling of uh not being considered not being um uh just what's the word I'm looking for Um, when you, I don't know, you want to feel like all that you've done in wrestling is for something, right? You want to feel like, ah, it's, I've put, you know, just mental, emotional, physical, all this at stake 
And then it's like, you want to feel good about it. And when there's stuff that you see that makes you feel not good about it, it's easy to take it out on, on that. But like wrestling is an intangible thing. It's just a, a thing that exists and it's different depending on who does it. Right. So people will say like, Oh, wrestling's changed or wrestling's this and that it's like, well, what the fuck were you expecting? Like, did you want are are we expecting some gotch and hackenschmidt like are we uh the mcguire twins like what are what are we going back to right so it is always going to evolve and change um it's just a matter of 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 finding a group like for instance like ace and i uh might see a modern match and think something is dumb right but it is much more productive for he and I to talk about that amongst ourselves and be like, well, the fuck, what the hell is that? I didn't get it either. Just to make sure uh-huh. I'm not going crazy to make sure he's not going crazy. We talk about it. And then one that gets it off our chest so that when we talk with the talent, we can, instead of going, what the fuck was that? We can go, Hey, what, what was that supposed to look like? Or what are you thinking when you do this? And sometimes mm-hmm. there's thought that's put into it and you go, all right, Okay, cool. I got it. And sometimes it's just something that got thrown out with the bathwater where you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know. I didn't mean to do that. But okay, well, here's what I think. Maybe try this. What do you think? Okay, cool. And if they do it, cool. If they don't do it, cool. But sometimes we just have to like have a a group of people that you can kind of vent with and bitch about stuff in like a harmless way that doesn't hurt the careers of other people. Because when you have a platform, you have people that are at your platform and they're waiting for you to go, all right, who the fuck are we getting behind? Who are we cheering for? Who are we booing? Who are we, whatever. And it's just not fair to some of these talent to like put them in a polarizing position. And now it's not just one person that's, leveling his opinion toward them it's a legion of people that have made their decision right and maybe they really feel strongly about that decision or maybe they're just they just want to be part of a team and they're like yeah fuck this guy this guy fucking sucks and it's like with more access to the entertainers than you've ever had before in your life it's just a it's a double-edged sword we you know they're they get more accessibility and uh we get uh, you know, c- quick um, serotonin hits, but then also like d- deep, dark depression based on, you know, some stranger's opinion of, of something you did. And you're like, oh, it's so funny. You'll get 25 great comments and you'll get two that are a little harsh. And then you're like, oh, oh fuck. it's like, no, why does our brain? It's the survival mechanism that we have that seeks out the ne- negativity to make mm-hmm. sure that we survive. And it's like, that's not helping you survive. It's, it's causing you, it's making this thing that you love and enjoy and it's taking it in a direction that it's less love, less enjoyment. So. Listen, we're going to wrap this podcast yep. up because now we're pushing 140. So <laughs> which, Dennis, I keep this thing going if I, I actually could, but it's listen, it's, it's a holiday week. We're all on vacation. Let's go enjoy our nights. And Chris, I, I please come back on because this has been amazing. Dennis, so it would, it would be my pleasure. Um, thank you for the forum ACE as always. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'll shoot you a text. Where, where can people find you other than Twitter? So they know if you're retired or not. Yeah. Okay. So uh, go, go to google.com. No, uh, you know, Instagram, uh, Chris hero, uh, 
Twitter is Chris Hero. Um, I uh, dabbled with a Twitch channel last year that I was enjoying, uh, but it it can be very time consuming. Um, I think if you're looking, if you're listening to this and you're wanting to know what I'm up to, there's a group in San Francisco called West Coast Pro, and I am the official matchmaker for West Coast Pro. So basically, I go out there, uh, I help produce the shows, uh, I go to the training school, I work with the talent, um, we put things together on the day of the show, and just building a relationship with not just the fans there, but also the talent in the locker room. We're trying to bring new and interesting people in because uh, indie wrestling is just it's very tough now it's hard to uh like stand out and it's also hard to stick uh so we're just trying some different things uh and it's a it's a new thing for me to kind of be around and look at wrestling from different angles and work with uh you know the young and hungry right so that's um we've got a show this may air later but um if this if this has aired afterwards check out our last show cruel summer um, just, a, just a couple things that we've got coming up. Um, we work with, uh, women's promotion, marvelous in Japan. So Chigusa Nagayo will be there with one of their teams, Magenta this weekend. Kushida will be there teaming with, with Kevin Knight, cool. Starboy Charlie, um, Jeff Cobb is going to be there. Uh, you know, he's a former NorCal mainstay. So him bit of a homecoming for him. Uh, and then in the future, man, we got a, we got a show coming up in Los Angeles, which is, you know, a bit far from San Francisco, uh, with, uh, Shun Skywalker, uh, will be on that show. Uh, and then man, October, we've got our fifth anniversary, uh, wrestling on the show. We have Masato Tanaka, uh, and then also appearing at the show for a meet and greet, we have the legendary Kenta Kobashi. So just the variety of local talent, uh, hot independent wrestling talent, some fresh faces, uh, and then also some international names. Um, it is, it just makes me so proud to have been a part of this company, even for just a short period of time. So please check out West Coast Pro uh, in my timeline. I've retweeted a uh, music video recap of our of our most recent show uh with a little bit of a preview for our upcoming show so come check it out uh all these things that i'm talking about wrestling i'm really doing my best to try to encourage and inspire and push wrestling in a positive direction and gosh when you get to work with talented people talented and driven people um it's it's really special so i i feel fortunate to be able to be a part of that so uh keep keep up with west coast pro follow me on on twitter and all that good stuff and you can see uh when and if i will retire mm. <laughs> ace where can people find you uh aces of steel on instagram uh there's a twitter i never check so don't go there <laughs> plain and simple you'll see dogs wrestling and uh all kinds of happiness rupert instagram. that's what I'm you'll see old rupert rupert miss harley appears from time to time but yep, the Rupert, the good boy, the big boy, he'll pop in. I locked him out of the room so he wouldn't interrupt. He's not happy. <laughs> yeah. He got pissed. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, he hey. sighs and makes noise. Almost like me. That, but you. Don't, I was gonna. Yeah. I was going there, but you, you took me there. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of figured. I wanted to give you the softball, but uh, everybody, wrestling perspective, go to the podcast, subscribe, rate, do all that other fun jazz, whatever. Uh, for everybody at home, the podcast's over. We're going to say our goodbyes off the air. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Ace, an amazing job again. Chris Hero, I like you even more than I did before the podcast, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. I appreciate you both. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.